Hello, fellow podcasters. Welcome to the Safasa Podcast, where we discuss various topics around neurodiversity and autism spectrum disorder with self-advocates, program directors, and occupational therapists, families, and clinicians. I hope you enjoy what we have in store for you today. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Center for Autism Services Alberta Students Association from the University of Alberta. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes and education only. The Center for Autism Services Alberta Students Association name and all forms and abbreviations are the property of its owner and its use does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. Okay, welcome listeners to another episode of the Safasa podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us today, Emily. Um, and so I'll hand it over to you and could you just please tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, hi, my name is Emily Coombs. I am an autistic researcher doing autism research. That's kind of how I, I've been branding myself right now. Um, I'm currently associated with the University of Victoria in their clinical psychology department the University of Alberta in their occupational therapy department, as well as their education department, and the University of Calgary, where I am a student in counseling psychology. Um, I'm currently studying under Dr. Meredith Maroney, which uh, she focuses on LGBTQ plus identities, as well as autistic identities. Um, and I previously studied, studied under Dr. Megan Ames um, at the University of Victoria. Uh, she also focuses on autism as well, um, especially um, with higher education university is kind of her main focus. I'm here to talk today to talk to you about a study I worked on with Dr. Ames that explored uh, autistic research uh, supports available for, for post-secondary students in Canada. Wow, that's awesome. Lots of collaboration with many universities. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of I'm kind of all over Canada right now. Well, definitely in in Western Canada, but I, I'm making connections in Toronto, so I'm hopefully connecting a lot of universities together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What first got you interested in research? Um, I've always been driven to participate in research. I love studying. I'm like one of my special interests is academia and school and books. I'm just like a really, really, really big nerd. Um, and additionally, like another special interest of mine has been psychology and the expansion of psychology and what what the future looks like for psychology. So I've like since high school, I, I was just really engaged in psychology. Um, surprisingly enough, I actually wanted to study uh, sexual divergencies and work in the criminal justice field, which which I do work in the criminal justice field. I, I have a, a history with working with sex, sexual offenders and um, working with at-risk youth. How, however, um, I came across working with Dr. Megan Ames, and she empowered me to explore uh, autism research. I won't lie, I was like extremely apprehensive, and I, I didn't feel like I should be studying autism as an autistic person. It felt like really too self-indulgent and far too personal, but I I was nothing but supported by by Dr. Ames. And, um, and then I met some really fantastic uh, autistic researchers who are doing autism research, uh, Dr. Heather Brown, for instance. So I I was really apprehensive at first and now now I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the autism research field. 
Awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. I think we actually had Heather Brown on um, being a keynote speaker in one of our last conferences. So that's great. It's awesome to hear everyone's like personal like research story, how they got into it. Um, so how has your experience been as a neurodivergent researcher in academia and like post-secondary in general? Yeah, so after I got over that like first hurdle of self-doubt, I experienced a lot of acceptance from my colleagues and peers. There's a very small cohort of autistic professors, academics, and graduate students, and we all kind of work to work together. For instance, uh, Dr. Heather Brown that you that you mentioned, she's a fantastic mentor and colleague. And for those who don't know, Dr. Uh, Brown is an autistic researcher, um, and she's a professor who studies autism, much like myself. She's she's definitely a little bit further in her career, and I I have nothing but fantastic things to say to her. But she is a fantastic autism advocate. She she works really, really hard to bring together autistic researchers from all over the, not even just the country, but like internationally. Um, and she currently works at the University of Alberta in the education department. She has pulled me onto a bunch of projects that strive to highlight uh, autism and autistic pride. Notably, we've worked closely on, uh, it was called the, uh, we've worked closely on, um, a project that involved an autistic community partnership. So it's essentially a, a small group of autistic individuals from the community, and they inform the inform the research study, um, which this partnership um, board made up of autistic persons. It it works to really be an intentional push for autistic research to be done by autistic people. And honestly, I did not know that research could be so inclusive in such a safe place. I know that all not all studies are like this, and a lot of studies could do a lot more, but it it was fantastic to be a part of something so meaningful. And I hope that future research, especially my future research, will incorporate uh, such forms of autistic community partnerships. Um, I truly believe it's such a beautiful example that no research about us should be without us. Um, and I, I, I think the larger academic community, especially the academic community that focuses on autism research is definitely looking to autistic academics and professors um, and graduate students like myself to definitely inform the next steps of, of research, which has been truly fantastic. Yeah, no, that's awesome. The, the part where you mentioned, you know, no research be essentially done without us, like that like speaks volumes and it's great to see these partnerships forming um, with like community partners, but as well as, you know, it's awesome to hear that there's like a good cohort of autistic researchers that are collaborating with each other and um, really pushing the autism research forward. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's really, it's really fantastic and truly beautiful to see the, the community incorporate community members and support autistic researchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. That's awesome. All right, so now uh, jumping into your research specifically, um, can you just introduce like the background or like the introduction of it all? Yeah, so the uh, research on autism specific supports for post-secondary students, that's the title. Um, the reality is that many autistic students um, is they have a variety of strengths and they desire to succeed in post-secondary education. Nonetheless, most autistic students report not receiving adequate support in post-secondary education to uh, ensure their success. Students often also report difficulty in navigating complex institutional systems. 
the, the Canadian mapping of autistic specific supports for post-secondary student study conducted an environmental scan for of autism specific supports. So website information, transition programs, peer mentoring, peer mentoring, like literally anything um, that was available to autistic students within Canada, um, especially focusing on publicly funded post-secondary institu institutions. For context, this included almost every post-secondary institution from schools like the University of Waterloo in Ontario to NATE, the Northern uh, Alberta Institute of Technology in Edmonton, Alberta. Moreover, we also examined the distribution of autistic-specific sports across institution types, um, from university to junior colleges to technical and vocational schools, and then compare that to geographic region as well. Wow. That's awesome. Seems like a good breadth and like just depth data was gathered. Um, and just like, for, I guess for my curiosity's sake, I was just wondering like, how long did that take to kind of like go through all of websites and put all of this kind of research together, if you know? Yeah. So we actually had a research team of three, um, three kind of data collectors. So myself, um, Jessica Ryan, and another student all went through the data and like cross-referenced each other. So that made it exponentially longer. But my initial search, I believe it took me 20 hours. And then Jessica, she cross-referenced and that probably took her, I think, 10 to 15 hours. And then we cross-referenced each other, which then took another 10 to 15 hours. Um, and then we had um, a French exchange student go through our research, especially with schools in Quebec, and make sure that we weren't missing anything um, through translation. So I suspect that took them um, probably like 10 to 15 hours. It was it was a lot of like sitting on your computer and like command F and copy and paste and just kind of flicking through websites. But um, I got to listen to a lot of podcasts. I got to listen to a lot of music. It was great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It seems like a lot of work went into, you know, just like searching through the lab, but obviously it's like important work. And so I guess that leads me to my next question. So what were, I guess, your main findings or your results? Yeah. So out of the 258 publicly funded post-secondary institutions in Canada, we only found 15 institutions, so 6%, had identified one support. Of those 15 institutions, the most common autistic support included information on their website. So about 67% had some sort of sentence that paid recognition to autistic university students. Um, about 47% of the institutions identified had a transition to university support. So they were helping new students who were autistic transition into university life. 33% had social groups, um, which ranged in online social groups, like such as discords to in-person social groups. 27% had peer mentoring um, and 20% had specialist tutors and daily living support. Um, and now we're getting into like the smaller percents, only a couple universities. So 13% had a transition to employment support. Um, so that was post-university, how are they getting them out into the workforce? And only 7% had student-led societies and an autistic advocate. Um, in general, universities um, and institutions in central Canada, such as Ontario, had higher number of provisions than expected. You definitely, like, 
from what I can recall, the junior colleges only had one um, institution that had some sort of supports, and that was actually in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, whereas uh, universities just, that's where the concentration was. Um, as well as Ontario, there was over, I think it was over six or seven universities there in Ontario that that um, had supports. Oh, wow. So it definitely seems like Ontario is, I guess, with the highest number of all the provisions and picking up the slack. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. No, that's definitely really, really interesting to hear. Um, and so I know you mentioned in your response that like you have um, like peer mentoring as like a specific like provision for autism supports. Um, I was just wondering like what that kind of looks like or what that is exactly in like the university context. Yeah, so um, Dr. Megan Ames, this is actually one of her loves, so to speak. She she studied this in her graduate studies, and she also established, along with Dr. Uh, Carly McMorris, who's a co-author on this paper, um, a peer mentorship program for autistic students at Yorkville University. Um, essentially, what peer mentorship is, is where an autistic university student like myself, uh, either in grad school or upper level um, courses, would mentor a new incoming um, autistic student into the university. We would you know, provide them with like supports in university, like stuff we've done to help ourselves. Um, like I, I, um, like I carry a, a fidget, um, fidget toy to every class. Um, for the most part. And um, the reality is a large part of my university, I didn't because I was embarrassed and I didn't give myself that accommodation when the reality is that like no professor cares. So it's it's giving all the wisdom of living through it to first year autistic students. And I, I think that's a fantastic way to to engage the community and to have autistic individuals supporting autistic individuals. Um, actually, there is a program starting up at the University of Calgary for neuro neurodivergent uh, peer mentorship, and I'm really excited to get involved in that as well. Wow, no, that's really interesting to hear. And that's awesome that Calgary is, you know, starting up the program, because like mm -hmm. what you mentioned with like peer mentoring, like I believe it's so valuable too, yeah. um, to any aspect, but like, especially um, with, how you mentioned as being as like provision for um, autistic post-secondary students. So that's great. Um, and so another thing that um, when I was kind of looking through the research poster, um, there's one part of the poster that mentioned um, how there's like disproportionate representation in universities. Um, mm -hmm. Could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, of course. Um, our data does not speak directly to why this might be disproportionate. However, we can hypothesize. Um, we believe uh, that this may be due to increased funding available at university schools and or an increased uh, need being at universities because universities tend to have such large populations. Like I, for instance, the University of Calgary, I think it's like 30,000 students. That might be wrong, but it's, 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 in, the, it's in the multiple thousands. Um, and with larger populations of students, in turn, you would have a larger population of autistic students. Universities may also hold more experts um, in regards to autism that, that do advocacy and, and push for these, um, these sorts of provisions, as well as there's maybe programs of research supporting 
supporting these supports, like at the University of Calgary, because I'm, I'm there now, so I can, I can really speak about them. Uh, Dr. McMorris, she's really the one spearheading this peer mentorship program um, because she works there and this is the work that she does. So it's, it's clear, it's clear that that's where she would start. Um, but also this is clearly an area of further research just because we, we never really addressed it in the paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that totally makes sense. Um, awesome. So, um, was there anything that like, when you're looking through the results that you were, I guess, like surprised to find out? Um, uh, during the time of data collection, we were only able to find evidence of 15 institutions with provisions. Um, after hours and hours upon data collection, it was very disheartening as an autistic person to see just the stark amount of provisions available. Like I love academia and I, I love being in university. However, it just didn't seem like it was the place or environment that was accepting or supportive of me as an autistic individual. Um, however, like I just want to like the limitations of the study is that it is it is a snapshot of what is out there. We did data collection late. I believe it was like super early in 2021 um, mm -hmm. or late 2020. So it does not capture anything past that point. Uh, I know for a fact that the University of Toronto, which was not captured by our study, now has this fantastic program and that has started up within the last year. Um, I'm noticing that there has been a push by universities in the last couple of years to be more inclusive of neuro neurodivergence on campus. And this movement is something I'm extremely excited to witness and be a part of. Um, it's just it, the nature of the study is that it can only we can't we can't update it every every week and stuff like that. So this study will be updated um, in the coming years. But as of as it stands right now, this is the data we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's surprising that like only 15 universities at the time of the study had supports considering there's like hundreds of institutions across Canada. Yeah. It's, it's surprising, um, but it's also not surprising, right? Like there, there is not, there was never a real big push for neurodivergence. Like if there's, there's a lack of understanding and there's a lack of education and most universities don't prioritize it. And that's, that's the, that's just the reality of it. Um, I, I don't believe that from when this study was done to right now, that there has been a double in the amount of provisions, but I would say that there has been at least a handful more, like five to six. And that, that's, what's nice is that there's progress here and it's not stagnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then hopefully, I guess, like down the line, a few years down the line, we'll be able to see um, some progress from the results we, we saw earlier from this study. And then um, that'd be lovely to see that there is change and that there is this push to support neurodivergent um, students on campus. Yeah. All right. So um, in terms of um, like the type and number of uh, specifically um, autistic supports or provisions for students, was there a post-secondary institution that um, like stood out in terms of having like a certain type or like the number uh, or like the most number of autistic uh, autism uh, specific supports for students? Yeah. 
So the majority of supports seem to accumulate around two key areas, geographical areas. Uh, that's Vancouver and Southern Ontario. Um, I want to speak to both areas because I believe that they both need to be drawn on. Um, and speaking on the Vancouver area, Simon Fraser University really stands out as an important and accessible school for autistic students. Notably, they offer a transition to university support, specialist tutoring, social groups, and support with daily living skills. This is like a multifaceted approach to supporting incoming autistic students and sets them up for success. Additionally, it seems keeping uh, it keeps returning autistic students engaged and equally supported by providing them social groups. I, I think it's a fantastic to have all these supports right at the beginning, but like autistic students, they're not just first year students, they're, they're second, third graduate students. So I, I believe that social, so, social groups definitely keep autistic students engaged and equally supported. Um, comparatively, I, I do wanna speak on Southern Ontario. There's Queen's University, the University of Ontario Institute of Technology, York University, um, I might pronounce this one, Algonquin uh, College of Arts and Humber College uh, Institute of Technology and Advanced Learning. This is just a few to name. All offer a wide variety of transitional supports, social groups, and peer mentoring. The, like, there's more universities, there's more schools um, in Southern Ontario that do offer supports, but this list, the Queen's uh, the University of Toronto Institute of Technology, York, Algonquin College of Arts, and Humber College, they are the ones that are definitely like spearheading um, a more diverse and multifaceted approach to autistic supports. Uh, this collection of three universities and two technical schools are really diverse in the supports that they provide and truly deserve recognition, especially for their transitional supports. Notably, the University of Ontario Institute of Technology has a strong transition program that works with autistic students prior to the semester starting. Additionally, they offer info sessions throughout the year that really help with daily living, social cognition, and healthy relationships, just to name a few. In a truly perfect world, I believe that every single institution, whether it be a university or a college or a technical school, would have um, would have similar networks to these provisions. I believe that there should just be something out there to help people transition because that is that has been shown in the research to be the biggest indicator of success. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And like, hopefully other universities and institutions follow suit of these, um, these like key ones that really have, um, really have a multifaceted approach in terms of, you know, transitioning to university. Um, and also kind of continuing that um, within university and like every stage um, of university, like you mentioned. Um, okay, so something I also found interesting or one interesting finding that I was looking at the poster um, was that it mentions that the autism specific supports in the United Kingdom um, institutions, about like 37% was compared to Canada, which was like 6%. So any ideas as to why there's such like a huge difference here? Yeah, and I, I want to say like, I appreciate this such insightful question. However, I have no knowledge as to why there is a notable divide in services between the UK and Canada. I did, however, confer with my co-author, Dr. Vincent. He's currently um, in the UK um, and he works there full time, who who's a researcher that conducted that, that UK study also as well. 
he stated that it might be due to some political uh, in, in, so info as Canada is divided into two distinct provinces, which can and do organize and fund education and support differently. Whereas in the UK, uh, they are covered by the same legal responsibilities and largely have similar and largely similar in what they offer to students. There is an oversight from accountability to the Office of Students, which covers all universities regardless of the location. They they're just a more integrated um, system for university. He also noted that uh, the UK is just smaller geographically, which makes a big difference too. Um, because in that students and staff will move between and see and hear and experience different services and then bring what they can to different institutions. Um, as well as the disabilities movement in the UK is very, very strong, especially with the social model of disability emphasis. And so there has been pressure for many years to adjust institutions. Many of the institutions have been leading the way in participatory research and user-led services for very for many, many years. And we're just starting to see that here in Canada. Finally, um, uh, and to this point, we're, we're making, um, sorry. Uh, finally, the UK is um, higher education, education system is, um, is now a competitive marketplace because they have so many institutions they are literally selling their wares on the web page to attract as many students as they can in order to increase their revenue stream. Um, he says, whilst I don't deny that there is also, this is, sorry. He says, whilst I don't deny that there is also good practice, the desire to be seen, to offer position and therefore keep up with the competitors is meeting many of the needs of disadvantaged groups in part of the wider discourse. Um, he refers to this as a progressive neoliberalism, where universities are just marketing themselves as fantastic and have all these supports because they need to get, they need to have more revenue. Um, I, I think Dr. Vincent really sums up our hypothesis here because unfortunately our data can't speak to that, but it, it does, it does shed some light on why the UK has so many provisions um, versus Canada. Yeah, no, that definitely, like, has, that's a lot of reason as to why um, the UK has more provisions. And like, it's interesting to hear, like, I, like, I'm not too familiar with how the UK institutions and like colleges and universities are set up, but um, it's interesting to hear how like, there's this competitive marketplace to, to bring, literally bring students into their universities. And so this is a way through the website that, you know, they're really like tailoring a lot of their supports to, um, bring, um, you know, neurodivergent people in as well as like, just like everyone having their more inclusive model um, of disability, especially in like the UK. That's also interesting to hear as well. Um, but yeah, that kind of does make sense with like the terms of like having a smaller geographical area versus I know here in Canada, everything's split up by province and province. And so that's why you see a lot of these disparities, right? Mm -hmm. Nice. Awesome. Um, and so I'm a little curious as well, just because I know that um, uh, Safasa is based at the U of A. And so I'm always curious as to see how like the U of A fared well um, in terms of uh, with the results of your data. So um, I was just wondering how um, they did, I guess, in making supports available to students. Um, uh, I believe that essentially just from reading the poster, like there wasn't really anything found on um, the U of A, is that correct? 
Yeah, that is correct. And I, I think I want to highlight a key limitation of our study is that the fact that it is internet based. As you may know, the internet is ever changing. And additionally, our search terms, though exhaustive, could have missed certain resources, um, as well as just like key connecting points between um, the university and Kafasa, right? Um, mm -hmm. Even now, our, our collected data has changed. For instance, Kvasa didn't come up during our search, nor did similar services at the University of Toronto. With those limitations in, in mind, it is unfortunate that, a, that the study could not highlight Kvasa. Um, speaking for myself in regards to, in, in regards to Kvasa, I'm saying that a lot. <laughs> I would like to say that I'm really, 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 really proud of the student-run group. There is evidence of genuine authenticity and advocacy present within the work that you all do and the mission that you have. And I want to take a moment to highlight your mission statement. Our mission is to increase awareness and education for student body and the general public of autism spectrum disorder through means of fundraising and volunteer support for the Center of Autistic Services in Alberta. It is evident that the that CAFASA works hard to educate a wider public um, on autism. Though I do not believe that CAFASA is a, is a direct support for autistic students mm -hmm. at the University of Alberta. I believe that the student group provides a, and the creation and maintains a safe place for autistic students. Again, speaking on my own, uh, own opinions, I believe that CAFASA is doing a fantastic job on being a strong ally for autism awareness and research dissemination. I It's been fantastic to be able to participate in, in two podcasts so far and to to bring my, my uh, data to light. And I, I am publishing more studies on autism, not just in universities, but autism and LGBTQ plus experiences. And I know if I emailed you guys and I was like, hey, I wanna get this research out to you there. You were like, yeah, let's let's figure it out. That, that can happen. And that that allyship is, is fantastic, truly, truly fantastic. Um, my one critique would be that there's an apparent lack of direct autistic related support. Mm -hmm. I understand that your group's capacity is small and I'm sure the budget is even smaller. However, I do believe that this is a perfect platform to integrate autistic peer support groups. My co-author, Dr. Ames, highlighted in previous research how successful peer mentorships were for academic success. And in a perfect world, I would love to see Fafasa and every other university have some semblance of an autistic slash neurodivergent support network. Um, again, like I said, I suspect that your budget is small and your capacity is small because you guys are all students. Um, perfect world scenario. This You could use this platform to, to set up a peer su a support network. Yeah, no, that's awesome hearing from you too, but like... You know, as our mission states, like we're trying to increase awareness um, and create inclusion among your divergent peers and students. Um, <laughs> and yeah, our budget, <laughs> very minimal. Um, so, but no, yeah, like definitely having more um, specific autism supports for students on campus. Um, and even for us, at least, you know, pushing for that um, on campus and really making it, you know, recognized to the University of Alberta that, hey, this is something like we need to do, um, you know, like, you know, other universities have started programs like University of Calgary starting, as you mentioned, like their peer mentorship program. So it should be something that, you know, is at the top of the list or that they're trying to do or like in progress at least, right? Yeah, um, exactly. 
Mm-hmm. So definitely maybe that's something that we'll dive into as like the student group and try to, you know, really make that emphasis known um, to you, because as like you mentioned with the results, like nothing showed up for the University of Alberta and considering it's like, I don't know what it is right now, but like a top it's like top three it's like pretty pretty high up there especially your medical sciences program and your your sciences program which there's research that shows that autistic students do kind of head towards stem and there's a higher concentration Mm -hmm. of autistic students in stem so because you have such fantastic programs it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of like okay okay university of alberta like let's let's support our autistic students because you guys are bound to have them right yeah, no, exactly. So it's surprising to see that, you know, like, even though we're like, you know, in the top five institutions, like Canada, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, where are our autism sports at? <laughs> but like, in comparison, the University of Toronto also didn't have anything when we did this study, but they do now they are they are they are working towards it. And they do have this really fantastic transition support and support group. So it's it's like, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel where institutions are taking these steps to to be more progressive and to be more inclusive Mm -hmm. yeah so hopefully in a couple years we'll see some we'll see some changes at the UV um okay um and I think yeah over here last little bit of um a question that I had for Alan was looking at the poster. So I noticed that there is, you know, at the bottom of the poster, it's like a call for action, essentially, um, in obtaining um, data um, on autism research in the context of Canadian post-secondaries. Um, could you explain this like, call to action? Yeah. So as it stands, there's pre- presently very limited data on the rate of autistic students in Canadian post-secondaries, um, the experiences, Um, as well as a critical examination of the supports available to autistic students. My studies simply named what was available, which is helpful for setting the foundation. However, now we're calling to action other researchers and academics to explore experiences of autistic Canadian, it needs to be Canadian, (laughs) autistic post-secondary students. Um, In some regards, this call to action has been heard presently. Dr. Nicholas of the University of Calgary in partnership with Dr. Brown, Dr. uh, Southers um, of the University of Alberta, and Dr. Briano of McMaster have been working on a large mixed method study that is exploring the lived experiences of autistic students. Um, The campus belonging study um, is advancing post-second, is trying to advance post-secondary opportunities for autistic students um, and just qualitatively um, examine what what it's like to be an autistic uh, university student. So they also have, they're also doing a scoping review and they want to um, integrate uh, like focus groups with, um, aut- with administrators at universities to see kind of where the disconnect is. Um, I believe that this study is gonna be monumental in highlighting the lived experience of autistic students and really making that hard push uh, towards um, inclusivity at universities. Their, their research group for this study, the, the Campus Belonging Study, is, is massive. I'm involved, um, Dr. Uh, McMorris and Dr. Ames, uh, who are co-authors on this paper, are also involved. They, they're pulling from all over Canada to, to really bring a narrative and a description of, of what, what's going on in Canada for autistic university students. Um, 
on autistic post-secondary students widely. As someone who's a researcher assistant on the study, I know that the study will aim to explore much more than just lived experience, and I'm proud of this team and its work. Um, additionally, Dr. Ames, myself, along with McMorris and Vincent, are continuing to explore provisions available. We are currently writing the manuscript for a follow-up study that explores the narratives of administration workers, um, just their experiences and, on, and opinions on what support should be available, what supports are available, and how um, they can be better supported and how their students can be better supported. Um, so take, uh, watch out for that because it's gonna go, uh, we're, we're hoping, fingers crossed, um, to submit that to publication in the new year, um, but it has taken us a long time to do that study. Um, all this research is truly the beginning to an area of study that has not been explored, explored in a Canadian context. It is important that we make our research relevant to our country as post-secondary systems are unique um, in comparison to the United States and the UK, for example. We, we have research from the United Kingdom. We have research from the United States. We just don't have research from Canada. And if we want to change Canadian universities and institutions, we need to have the data to back it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely highlights like the pivotal role of your research, like the fact that, you know, there's nothing really out there about specific like Canadian um, supports as well as, you know, how the life is of uh, an autistic post-secondary student in Canada. Like those are critical things that should be, you know, highlighted and considering that like we talked about earlier about how, you know, how is UK able to, you know, have these higher stats in terms of the supports, then there's lots of information I can imagine about US, but Canada in specific, that's something that like you mentioned, like we should definitely um, be doing that research. And so I applaud um, your research group and all the research groups that you're part of, like for being Thank able you. to spearhead this, <laughs> spearhead all of this research and hopefully, you know, can can lead to, you know, better provisions um, for autistic students and also, um, you know, influence other researchers, um, other autistic researchers take part in research and to also, um, you know, form new hypotheses and questions and really look at um, various fields within um, yeah. post-secondary context. So that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. Um, so any, any last thoughts or anything you'd like to share with mm. the audience today? I think like a final thought and like a final narrative that I want to put out there, like as, as an autistic person myself, I think it's fantastic that autistic researchers are being looked to to do aut autism research. But if you are, if you have a study and it's about autism, don't go to the first autistic researcher you find. There, there's autistic researchers studying widely different topics other than autism. I think the best practice is to integrate uh, participatory groups. Um, advisory boards, community partners um, within research, that's that's kind of where, where our focus needs to be. And on top of that, if I could, anyone who's listening and is in charge in any universities, um, make that push for peer mentorships. It's just at the base level. It can be something student run. It can be something that doesn't need a lot of funding. It can pretty much work on its own, but peer support is really where it's at for at least like a stepping block. Like you, universities don't need to integrate all these fundings and services right mm -hmm. off the bat. Just start somewhere 
and then build from that. Like I, like I said, in a perfect world, every university, post-secondary, anyone with capacity would have a transition support into their institution for, for those students who are neurodivergent and, and autistic. However, like I, I understand that's a lot of funding and a lot of, a lot of resources. So making that small step, that small bid to the community is definitely what needs to needs to get the ball rolling um, here in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your thoughts and research with our listeners today. Um, really appreciate you taking the time of your day to speak with us. Uh, and we hope your research and people listening to this podcast um, really consider making some changes um, or even just being able to know all of your key findings, which is super valuable to them. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.